This week on Myths and Legends, we wrap up our current run of Arthur episodes, where Guinevere battles her evil twin, and you'll learn why you should be extra kind to the people who handle your food. On the Creature of the Week, you'll learn how to hunt vampires by wearing your shirt inside out. This is Myths and Legends, episode 243B, Double Trouble. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, Guinevere was targeted by her half-sister, a child of her father born to her father's seneschal's wife. After a thwarted attempt on the day of Guinevere's wedding to Arthur to trade places with her, the other Guinevere returned years later and brought a formal accusation against the queen. It wasn't going well for Guinevere, but then the trial was delayed when Arthur was kidnapped while out hunting. We'll pick up immediately, with Arthur being brought blindfolded to the dungeons of his captors. Arthur yelled out that they would have to kill him before he betrayed the Britons. He didn't care what type of dungeon he was in, what type of torture he was subjected to, he would never turn his back on his knights. Also, could he have some water? He admittedly kind of overdid it with the wine before the hunt and he was going to have a headache soon. He felt the hands grip his own bound wrists. He felt the pinch of someone pulling at his blindfold. All right time to see what sort of place he would be dying in. And when the blindfold came off, Arthur saw what he was in for. The hands weren't of the knights who had taken him in the woods, but of the ladies' maids, who quickly unbound him and glided from the room, leaving Arthur before a warm, crackling fire, a myriad of candles, and a veiled bed that... Was that lavender? Eh, Weird torture technique, but... He could go with it. Then, he saw a silhouette on the bed. It was a woman. Help my king get more comfortable, Arthur heard from the bed. As if they materialized from nowhere, servants unlaced Arthur's hunting clothes, took his sword, which was still on him, placing it gingerly by the wall, and draped Arthur in bedclothes, which smelled like a fresh mountain spring. This was the 6th century. They have no dryer sheets. How are they doing that? Soon, Arthur was at the bed. He parted the veil and gasped. Wow. Guinevere? Arthur asked the woman behind the curtain. Wow, you look different. But like, a good different. Like a really, really good different. Is that new? She pressed her finger to his lips and then kissed him, pulling him down to the bed. And we will slowly drift to a tasteful cut of curtains blowing in the wind. Wow, I mean, wow, Arthur said, rolling over, gazing upon Guinevere in the firelight. It was crazy. She looked just like her. She looks like me, Guinevere said with a smile. Arthur said, right, right. We needed that. Well, 
me and her did, but is it you? This is getting really confusing. So let me get this straight. She replaced you on our wedding night, so we're technically married? Guinevere said not just technically, now in pretty much every way. Arthur smiled. Wow, yeah. Um, He just felt such a strong connection with her. Way more than he felt with Guinevere. Especially lately. She wants you weak. It was always part of her plan. I imagine she's been allying with your knights behind your back. Arthur said, yeah, come to think of it, there were always correspondences between her, Lancelot, and Galahad. Gawain jumped up to defend her, too. Guinevere knitted her brow. That's what she feared. The false Guinevere was going to do to him what she had done to the rightful queen, and then she would have all the power. Arthur sat up. Then something must be done. She must be stopped. The Guinevere next to him said, absolutely, just... They had been apart for so long. How about they spend a little more time together? She rose and kissed Arthur. Well, Arthur was dead. The Baron, Bertolet the Old, shook his head. It had been three months now. Kid died doing what he loved, getting drunk and hunting. Now that I'm saying it out loud, seems like a bad idea to let the head of state get loaded and go off into the woods by himself with a bunch of weapons. Oh well, live and learn. Arthur didn't have any kids yet though, so who should replace him? Lancelot's name was floated. As Arthur's champion, he could fight anyone for it. A number of the other barons put their own names in, but Baron Bertolet was shrewd. He proposed Gawain. Gawain swallowed hard. Him? Bertolet said, yeah. As the king's nephew, he had a solid claim. Hey, I'm his nephew too, Yvain called out. By his sister that tried to murder him multiple times. Yeah, I'll withdraw my claim. Gawain said that he couldn't. Bertolet smiled. Galahad put his arm around Gawain's shoulders. He wanted a word with the illustrious knight. He pulled Gawain back into the room from which he was listening with Guinevere and Lancelot. It has to be you, Galahad told Gawain. Gawain shook his head. It couldn't be. First, they didn't even know if Arthur was dead. And if he's not, Galahad asked. Gawain said that Arthur should be king and he would give up the throne the moment Arthur returned. Galahad pointed to the room they had just come from. Yeah, those guys wouldn't. That offer was made so that you would reject it and name the baron who offered it as your choice to take the proverbial spotlight off yourself. Gawain said that he was just about to say exactly that. Power shouldn't be entrusted to those who seek it, Galahad said, gripping Gawain's shoulders. Like it or not, you're the best man for the job. Gawain took a deep breath. All right, he would do it, but only until Arthur returned. Galahad said, yeah, that if he didn't, that would literally be treason. They heard a knock at the door. Hey, did Gawain have his decision yet? Because it kind of didn't matter now. Arthur's alive! Everyone rushed from the room to hear the message. It was a huntsman who had been traveling. He received a message sealed with Arthur's ring, telling them to be at Zalegbre in a month. He would be there, alive and well. By the way, he sends his regards to his knights, his brocay, all of his named barons, and that's it. 
the room looked to Guinevere, who pursed her lips and nodded. That was, uh, loud and clear. Gawain, acting with the authority of a steward, followed Arthur's letter to the letter and called all the barons to Zalegbre, the capital of Carmelide. As they rode into the fortress, they were eager to see their king and wary of what evil had been done to him over his three-month disappearance. They found Arthur happy? He was clear-headed and confident? It was like he was Arthur the Conqueror again. He was clever and witty, it was like he had renewed purpose. Once everyone was in town, he called an assembly for that evening. As they entered the Grand Hall, Guinevere squeezed the hands of Galahad and Lancelot. She clenched her jaw, and a tear fell from her eye. Galahad smiled and leaned down to whisper into her ear. He said, quote, She need not worry. A thousand knights would die before she did. They were struck by the warmth and the music and the aroma of the feast. Guinevere looked up to the woman seated next to Arthur, a woman with the same face as her. Arthur waved off a goblet and rose to address the barons and knights. Before these pleasantries commenced, there was one bit of unpleasantness to get out of the way. Arthur looked to Guinevere's knights and nodded. He pointed. The woman, who, until three months ago, he believed to be his wife, was an imposter. She was the daughter of the late King Leo Dagon and his seneschal's wife, not the queen of Carmelide. She tricked Arthur, kidnapped his real wife, the one who was now seated next to him, and posed as the queen for 15 years. It was only by the grace of God that Arthur and the true Guinevere had been reunited. Now, however, the imposter must be punished. Lancelot made to rise, but Galahad was ready. With his hand on Lancelot's shoulder, he held the young man to the bench. Lancelot was nearly in tears as they put the irons on Guinevere's wrists and led her to the room in the dungeon to sit and wait for her sentencing. Galahad gave him a look that he read as, Not now. Lancelot didn't relax, but he also didn't rise. Guinevere was led from the room, and as soon as the door closed, the music started and food was on the table. All right, our enemies have been busy, Galahad told Lancelot when he returned to their room. But he saw a way forward. There was always a way forward if you looked for it. In the three months, the other Guinevere hadn't only been busy convincing Arthur by the way, in some versions, she gave him a love potion. The French Vulgate is very clear that there was no magic or potions involved. Just Arthur and the other Guinevere spending a lot of quality time together over the course of three months. But in addition to that, the other Guinevere, who I'm going to start calling G2, G2's knights have been around Britain. Even 15 years on, there was still bad blood between Arthur and some of his barons, who, despite everything, still saw him as an illegitimate boy king. Arthur remembered who was loyal to him early on, and the barons weren't dispossessed or anything, but they didn't exactly have a seat at the table. All that could change, though, if they allied with the king over his own decision, 
coming up when they met in Carmelide. Seeing as agreeing with the king was the least risky thing they could think of, they all agreed. And G2 had built herself a power base. The good news is, Galahad continued, that my spies tell me that she, Guinevere, the real Guinevere, won't be killed. It would be too risky. They have the barons, but they don't have the knights. They'll punish her and exile her. But knights are all about chivalry and courtesy. Executing the queen, even if she is an alleged usurper, still too bitter of a pill for them to swallow. G2 and the others think that with the current plan, the knights will voice their discontent, maybe return to their own castles in a huff, but not rise up in revolt. I think that once this dog and pony show is finished, they'll just knife Guinevere somewhere in the dark. What they don't know is that we'll have a lot more knives in the dark. Lancelot nodded that explained all Galahad's late-night letters. When would his knights be here from Sorlois? Galahad winked. They already were, and they would make themselves known when the time was right. Lancelot said good, good to hear. What could he do? Galahad grinned. Lancelot would just need to do what he was best at. Uh, being really, really ridiculously good-looking? Lancelot asked. Uh, okay, the uh, second thing he was best at then. We'll see Galahad and Lancelot's solution to the problem. Spoiler, it involves a lot of fighting, but that will be right after this. I'll walk out, I'll do it. I'll say, brother, you gone too far this time. I renounce my title. I'll fight to the death for her honor, Kay said. Gawain, Yvain, and the others nodded in agreement. Yeah, if Arthur announced Guinevere's death today, that was it for them. They were gone, man. Lancelot listened, his palms sweaty and his heart thumping. Unlike the others, he knew what he was going to do today. Any dishonor comes to the queen... I'll fight three men at the same time, Lancelot said, quieting the group. Kay said, three men. <sighs> All talk. You want to be the fourth? Lancelot sneered. Kay was about to open his mouth when the horn blew. They looked to the field. Lancelot saw Guinevere, and his heart dropped. She had been living in that dress for a month. It was grimy and worn from the dungeons. Her hair was streaked with dirt. She just looked frayed. She didn't look to the crowd. She didn't look anywhere but the ground. Arthur called out to the people. This was held in a field so all could come hear the verdict. The queen would not be killed. Lancelot heard an exhale from the knights around him. Arthur said he was generous. She would merely be exiled. She had lied. She had taken on the role of queen without right and so all sacramental marks of queen would be removed. She would have her hair removed. The knight said that that was a little harsh, but eh, it would grow back. And the skin flayed from the top of her head, where the crown sat. Further, since she received anointing on her hands, her palms and her fingertips would also be flayed. After that, she should leave Arthur's lands and never return. Lancelot looked to the other knights. Big men, all of you. Oh, if he does this, we're going to leave and we're going to stand up and fight. And then it happens and you what? 
shamefully swallow your words? Even you, Gawain? Disgraceful. Lancelot pushed forward, jumped the short barrier, and walked out onto the field. The crowd grew silent as, walking up, Lancelot unhooked his ermine cloak and threw it in the mud. He got closer to Guinevere, undid his armor, and took off the colors that designated him as a knight of the round table. He threw those on the ground, too. A gasp went up. Arthur stood. As a knight of the round table, Lancelot was to pick up his mantle and return to the others. Lancelot pointed to the ground. That was the point of him throwing down his mantle? Symbolism? He was renouncing the round table, Arthur's household, Arthur's kingdom. He was doing it because he was challenging this ruling. The knights watched him. Jaws slack. Wait, you can do that? Leave the round table. They all thought it was like the mob. Once you were in it, you were in it for life. This, wow. Arthur really messed up here. Arthur, it turned out, couldn't just ignore a challenge to his ruling, especially from one of his best knights. Even a queen declared guilty of treason had the right to a trial by combat. God would decide who was right. It would take place before the king's tower in Camelot. With Arthur and G2 watching on the field, and Guinevere a captive in the tower. Since none of the knights of the round table would fight their own, for now, Arthur had to scrounge up other challengers. And since Lancelot was not only a now former knight of the round table, but the best of them, one wouldn't do. Lancelot would fight three, and it was only through Galahot working out the deal that Lancelot didn't have to fight all of them at the same time, though he was more than excited and ready to do so. Galahad also worked something else out on the big day when the knights and the barons and the common people who were brave enough to scale the castle walls for a good view looked on the battlefield. The guards that were supposed to be with Guinevere were stopped. They found themselves staring up at Galahad who said that they wouldn't be needed here. As a knight of the round table, he would be responsible for Guinevere remaining a prisoner. And since the guard and his group weren't needed here, how about they take the day off? Go have a drink. Maybe take in a brutal death match. His treat. He dropped a bag of coins into the guard's hand, and the man was more than happy to let Galahot and his knights take over watching the queen. Galahot took his place next to Guinevere, now a captive in her own room, looking down at the battlefield, where Lancelot was being dressed by his squire, and the knight fighting on behalf of her husband took his seat in the saddle. Galahot said everything was in place. Lancelot would win this one, of course, but if he didn't, or if the, if the imposter didn't keep her word, his knights had secured every path to the docks. They were ready to cut through anything and anyone for their freedom. One way or another, Guinevere was leaving Camelot tonight. After the first joust, when Lancelot impaled the first of Arthur's knights through his shield and armor, Guinevere and Galahot breathed. After Lancelot pulled his lance out of the dead knight, he unhorsed the second almost as quickly, though not as fatally. The man panicked when his horse bolted, but Lancelot laughed. He calmly got down from his horse and tied it to a tree. He wouldn't be accused of being dishonorable. He drew his sword. Let's do this. Arthur's knight drew his own sword, and then dropped it, shrieked, and then darted off for the wall. He was done with this. He was going to jump into the sea. Lancelot realized what was happening in a second, 
and save the man from the dishonor of running away and drowning by catching his armored foot and yanking him from the wall. The man raised his shield, but neither it, his helmet, or his skull helped him all that much. Lancelot wiped his sword and found his horse. Seeing how things went for the first two, and wanting an advantage, the third knight aimed his lance not for Lancelot, but for Lancelot's horse, trying to kill it so Lancelot would fall and he would be striking out from above. He did hit Lancelot's horse, but Lancelot hit him. So both dropped to the ground without a mount. They drew their swords, and the third battle began, and kept going, and continued. After about an hour, two things became clear. One, this guy had done a pretty good job of holding his own against Lancelot, and two, that was not going to continue. Lancelot had him on the ropes, and by the ropes, I mean he had him next to the blood spatters, the guy who went before him, and it was only the third knight's skillful blocks that kept him from ending up the same way. As the knights clashed outside, Arthur found that the knights that guarded Guinevere wouldn't let him through. In his own castle, he heard an, it's fine, from Galahad, and the knights parted. For the first time in five months, Arthur stood before his wife. When he had left her, things had been bad, but not flay your hands bad. Still, he knew her. He knew that she was a decent person, and he knew that she didn't want any more knights to die. But what are you going to do for her? Galahad stepped in between them. Arthur said, excuse me, but he's trying to have a conversation with his wife here. Uh, she's not your wife, you have very clearly and publicly stated, Galahad replied. If Arthur wanted this knight to live, Guinevere would live. She would have safe passage from these lands. She would be allowed to take her ladies and leave in peace. Arthur said that that was fair. He could do that. Would she please call off the fight? Guinevere nodded. She went to the window and said one word. Lancelot. At his name, from her, Lancelot stopped wailing on the night and looked up. Guinevere shook her head, and he understood. He sheathed his blade. The fight was over. The knights stood stunned. Even after winning the fight, Lancelot was still giving it up. He was still renouncing both Arthur and the round table and leaving with Galahad and Guinevere. Arthur had decreed that they couldn't stay in his lands. Not that he cared, but his new wife had some strong opinions and he said for him to have any peace, he needed to make her happy. The start of a healthy marriage. I mean, other than the extreme lies, deception, and death that surrounded it. They were going to Sorlois, a very real and not made up island off the northern coast of Wales and it was also the kingdom of Galahad. The entire coast was a nearly impregnable cliff, and the only way to make it onto the island was by a narrow stone bridge from Wales. It was still an independent kingdom that was nearly impervious to attack from without, you had to march an army up a narrow stone bridge, and Galahad trusted his house implicitly. It was right next door, but completely out of both Arthur's, and more importantly, G2's reach they left the following morning. Time continued on. Despite them finally being alone together, 
Guinevere couldn't. She didn't know how to navigate these waters. Neither of them did. But she was still married to Arthur, even if he had cast her out. She couldn't help but wonder if God was punishing them for... She looked at Lancelot, then looked away. Their feelings... We'll jump ahead to see how the other Guinevere handles being queen, but that, again, will be right after this. How would you say your performance has been over the last 16 years? The knight sat across the table from Kay, Arthur's brother and Seneschal. His second in command and the one who oversaw his household. Kay said that, on the whole, very good. Had Arthur been wounded? Yes, but not mortally. Had the queen committed long-term treason and still escaped with her life? It happens. Had the most important person in their world, King Arthur, been kidnapped multiple times on his watch? Sure, but the last time was them, right? You're with her, right, the queen? You're one of her knights, Kay stated. The knight took a deep breath. There's no easy way to say this except by someone who doesn't like you, which is most people, including me. We're letting you go, Kay, the knight said. Kay rose from the table. On whose order? The queen doesn't have this type of authority. The knight showed Kay the paper, signed in Arthur's hand. Kay said that this was absurd. He was going to see his brother. As he thudded on the stones to Arthur's room, Kay realized that it had been some time since he had seen Arthur weeks? Months? His brother had always been available to him, but that changed when she came along. It was a slow change at first. She started replacing more of Arthur's guards with her own than advisors. Arthur didn't seem to care. In fact, he was happy to give her a larger role in the government than her predecessor. He was just happy in general, at first. Now, as Kay, the former seneschal, looked on his brother, sitting up in bed, he noticed that Arthur looked listless, glassy-eyed. His mouth hung open, and his eyes looked at Kay, but Arthur didn't see him. Kay begged Arthur not to let him go. They were brothers. The queen strode up next to Arthur and whispered in his ear. The king pointed at Kay and mumbled a, remove him from the castle, and the guards obeyed. Kay shook his head and stepped back. He swatted away the guards and said he knew the way out. So that's what happened, Kay said, plucking another piece of bread from the shelf. I, you know, I still get to keep my lands and castle and title. I'm still a knight. I still have all my dad's wealth and I can hang out around here if I don't go upstairs. But this just feels like the worst thing that has ever been done to someone ever. You know what I'm saying? Kay said between bites. The cook, the kitchen bustling around them on hour 16 of their 18-hour workday, said that that was terrible. Just terrible. Yeah, Kay said. Then looked at the cook's face. Hey, how long have you had an eye patch? The woman said, uh, three months? 89 days, actually? 
Okay, so that that's specific. The woman nodded. Yeah, you tend to remember when you lose an eye. Okay, said, oh, bummer. Was it like steam and stuff? I don't know how cooking works. The woman's other eye looked up and then back to Kay. Kay gasped. What? D- did she do this to you? The woman said her knights and some of the barons, but this is the 6th century. It is very legal to beat servants, especially if they're five minutes late with your dinner, but they weren't really because, once again, this is the 6th century and clocks don't exist. Kay looked from side to side and then told her to count to 20 and then follow him into the storeroom. He had an idea. Oh, my good hermit priest, I need help. Wait, are you a priest or a monk? Monk, the monk Arthur met in the woods on his hunting trip said. King Arthur nodded and continued. My good hermit monk, I need God's help. My wife needs God's help, Arthur said, breaking out into tears. Would the monk hear his confession and offer him the sacraments? The monk nodded, absolutely on the confession. Hard pass on the sacraments, though. Arthur said, what? The monk asked if Arthur had remembered getting any messages from the Pope. Maybe about, I don't know, casting his wife out on paper-thin accusations. Arthur said that for some reason the last year-ish had gotten a little hazy for him. But maybe? They had a trial and all that. People killed each other. It was all above board. The monk said, be that as it may... He knew that Arthur's queen and a number of her knights and barons had fallen ill. They were unable to rise from bed. He also knew that the stink of their infections kept everyone out of the castle at this time. I heard it was a punishment from God, Kay interjected. The little rumor he planted at the start of the queen's illness was now in full bloom, with him being back in the king's good graces. Also, Arthur was so drugged up on whatever his grima worm tongue of a fake wife had been giving him that he didn't even remember firing Kay. Win-win. Except for Arthur, who was now being excommunicated. What? Why? Arthur blurted. The monk said it was, he just told him it was deserting his lawful wife. Without approval. Arthur asked how this nobody monk knew who his lawful wife was. And then took a smug sip out of his wineskin. Definitely not setting himself up for an embarrassing reveal. The monk said that he would know Guinevere anywhere. He had been a priest in Leo Dagon's kingdom, and he had seen Guinevere at mass since she was a girl. He could tell the difference between the two Guineveres. Arthur needed to return to the church, and if his divorce was ruled to be legal, then everything would resolve itself. Arthur bowed low and said that he agreed to this. He wanted to return to the church. After he got back on his horse and made preparations to return to Camelot immediately, Kay got atop his own horse and turned to the monk. Really cool of you to pop by two years ago during the very public trial and lend your expert opinion. Really? The monk asked. You want to pull the finally getting around to doing the right thing thread? Did Kay really want to see how that unraveled? Kay said he, he was good. Time to go. Yay, justice. Guinevere, the monk said to the woman, you're losing your body. Think of your soul. 
Your body is dying, but there is still time. For you. Guinevere, G2, the other one, broke down. She did it. She was guilty. The room gasped. She wouldn't meet Arthur's eyes. She wouldn't meet anyone's but the priest. She, too, had grown up listening to. She said that she was the worst. She had cast a good woman out. She had let her knights run rampant to keep them happy. She had deceived and drugged Arthur for like a year and a half. Arthur said, wait, what? She was so sorry. She recounted the whole betrayal, from its first seeds and the resentment growing up, to the desperate attempt Merlin had foiled on Arthur's wedding night, to coming back 15 years later and turning that failure into a success. It took this illness, this 100% irrefutable punishment from God. Kay chuckled nervously. Yep, that's, that's what it was. It took this to make her see that she had been focused on her power, wealth, and status to the detriment of her soul. It was weeks of a painful, agonizing decline. But Arthur and the priest were by her side when she died. Guinevere, the real Guinevere, returned after Pentecost. She did ask Galhot what he thought she should do, and he was actually the one who counseled her to go back. It was clear that she and Lancelot loved each other, but neither of them could bring themselves to take the next step. After everything that had happened, Guinevere was the true queen, and she was wasted in exile, and Lancelot was languishing, having the woman he loved so close. So, the trio returned to Camelot after their bloody exit nearly two years prior. Lancelot wasn't present at the reconciliation. He was locked away in his room. Arthur laughed that he wanted to thank the knight, else Guinevere's hair would be a lot shorter. Too soon? Guinevere smiled awkwardly. Yeah, too soon. Lancelot threw his saddlebag over his horse. Things were better when it was just him, before Arthur, before the round table, before her. He was free now, and she was back with the king. He still hadn't returned to the round table, despite Arthur's public exhortations that Lancelot was a truly great knight, who stood for good, despite having to do so against his own deceived king. He was an example for all knights to follow. And yet, he was still leaving. He was leaving because Arthur didn't respect him, Guinevere didn't love him, and the round table, far from standing for good, had been looking out for its own safety and self-interest when it mattered most. He felt a hand on his. As he moved to mount his horse, he looked to the shadows, and Guinevere lowered her hood. Okay, why, in the past two years, when she was divorced from her husband, she hadn't come to him? She had hardly spoken to him. Now here she was, now that they were back. She explained that it was because she knew now. She knew that things were broken between her and Arthur, irreversibly. And it wasn't her fault. She wanted Lancelot to stay, to take up his place at the round table. The time would come for them when they could finally be together. 
she wanted it as much as he did. Lancelot said that she had a horse. They could both leave tonight. Guinevere said that she admired that about Lancelot, his ability to do what he thought was right, no matter the cost. But she couldn't leave. If she did, it would confirm everything that everyone said about her while she was away. Her father may be gone, but her mother would be cast out. She couldn't do that. But there was something that they could do. The next day, a grand announcement was called. Lancelot, the White Knight, was returning to the round table. But not as Arthur's champion, as the Queen's. This was declared for all. And Arthur, along with the rest of the kingdom, witnessed the start of what would, one day, be their undoing. A kiss. Arthur watched with approval, as, since he was her champion now, Guinevere gave Lancelot a singular first kiss. Lancelot was Guinevere's champion. The nightmare was over. All was right with the world. That is, until a few months later, when Guinevere was kidnapped. That's a story for a different day. Well, August 24th, 2016, actually. Now we're caught up with episodes 41B and C. We'll do a brief recap on the next time we tell the story from Arthurian Legends, but we're probably not going to redo it. I linked it in the show notes, though. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site for like 140th the price of 10 milliliters of human blood that you can buy online for research purposes or a very convincing Halloween costume you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show that are not human blood. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Dompier from the folklore of the Balkans. Now, there aren't a lot of cool creatures, but the Dompier, the Dompier is cool. As a common trait of vampires in folklore, they are attractive and attracted to, well, pretty much anybody. There was a belief that when a vampire became a vampire, they would return to their spouse or someone they were attracted to in life and, best case scenario, find an enthusiastic and consenting partner. Worst case, they would pull a Zeus. The child born from such a union would be a Dampier a natural-born vampire hunter, the coolest of the creatures of the week. They look human, but sadly, their half-vampire parentage does not give them blade-esque superpowers. It does give them, quote, a soft body, because of the belief that vampires don't have bones, so Dampier's body is a thick, rubber-like substance. They have unruly black hair and don't cast a shadow. One book I found said that the Dampier doesn't really have a place in its own society because they are half vampire, but people respect them because they can kill vampires. In fact, they get to bend the rules a little bit. A vampire can be killed by an ash stake to the heart by a normal human, but a Dampier can use a stake of any material. And one source I read said that they can even use bullets, but that feels way too modern to me. They generally take on work doing the thing that they were literally born to do. And when they're hired for a job in an infested town, they'll just stand there in the middle and call the vampires out. 
the first will invariably try to sneak up on the Dompier while it's invisible. But the Dompier can see invisible vampires. Once the vampires realize this, they'll try to run. But by then, the Dompier has their scent. If they try to hide, the Dompier only needs to do such magic as, quote, looking through a shirt sleeve, putting their clothes on backwards, or whistling. Then they locate the vampire and either stake them or banish them from the town forever. The second one seems like kind of a temporary solution, but also probably works to keep the Dompier in business. Like, just force the vampire into the next town, show up, and, oh, you're looking for a vampire hunter? You don't say. Either because of their supernatural parentage, or because they make their living hunting some of folklore's most dangerous monsters, the Dompier sadly don't live very long. But great care has to be taken once they do die, or else, once death takes hold, the vampire side will flare up, and they'll get to see how the evil half lives, or, I guess, dies. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.